bum bum bottom 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 bum bum
it's not definitive in any way. We're probably <laughs> going to change our minds next week. Uh, the categories are absolutely arbitrary. Brad and I just sit down and go like, looking back at our year of comics, what do we want to talk about? What do we want to celebrate? The tricky thing putting this episode together is to think as a couple, mm -hmm. right? These are Brad and Lisa's favorite books collectively chosen. So if I was doing an episode just by myself, it would be very different, just as it would be very different if Lisa was doing an episode by herself. Yeah, we are an academy of two people, and we have all read all of these comics, and we have given them our stamp of approval. And we even went so far as to like, what one person's holding the stamp and then the other person is holding the hand of the person who's <laughs> holding the stamp so that we equally add equal pressure to stamp our stamp of approval on these comics, but not on these comics because we don't want to damage our comics. Not that we're the kind of people who bags and boards their comics. You get what I'm saying. I love the idea, Lisa, of creating an award, a comic book couples counseling best of the year award. Yes. That's a stamp. Yeah. <laughs> that we mail out to these creators. Yeah, it's like Oprah's book club. Yeah. Next next time you print this book, it better have our stamp on it. Absolutely. But they have to stamp it themselves. The award is the rubber stamp. Oh, I right? love Instead that. Instead of an Oscar, it's the CBCC stampy. Did we just do it? <laughs> Did we just create our award title finally? We, Is this the CBCC Stampies? We have never been satisfied with our title of this episode. No. It does not roll off the tongue. Um, a lot of people suggested couplies, which I thought was fine. No. But Brad rejected it. It's uh, the Stampies, Lisa. Is it too late for us to get stamps made? And how expensive is that? Uh, I do think it's too late to get rubber stamps made. Never too late. For these awards. But you heard it here first, folks. Next year... People are getting the CBCC stampy. It's a rubber stamp. We're making them. I love the idea that this is such a scoop that someone else <laughs> might try to say, claim that they call, called it that first. Hey, we have journalists from AIPT and Entertainment Weekly on this oh, episode. Yeah, that's right. They have a scoop right now. Get the press release out there. I think these guys have bigger fish to fry than the CBCC stampies. And besides, I feel like we've already asked enough of them to create the clips that we will feature prominently on these two episodes. Yeah, we're so grateful to all these folks for contributing to these two episodes. They are all a bunch of really incredible journalists and podcasters, and they offer so much to the conversation. They are the keepers of the discourse. So please go to the show notes right now, hit up their Twitter handles, their Hive socials, their websites, go support these folks and say thank you for joining us on Comic Book Couples Counseling this week and next week for part two of The Best Comics of 2022. Like I said earlier, we did re-listen to our very adorable introduction of the not-yet-named CBCC Stampies <laughs> of 2021. Poor Brad and Lisa in the past were like shaking in their boots going like, how could the comics of 2022 possibly live up to the greatness of the comics of 2021? Yeah. And I say, fear not, Brad and Lisa of the past. I am the ghost of Stampy's future. <laughs> and I'm telling you that 2022 was a great year in comics. And I might argue that it surpassed 2021 in greatness? Is that even possible? I think the answer is absolutely 2022 was a better year than 2021. And the proof is in how difficult it was to put these comics together for this episode. 
we had to make some tough choices. And thankfully, we have guests to help us out and put those comics back into the episode. But yeah, it was it was hard. But we did it. Mm -hmm. We came up with some crazy categories. We split them over two episodes. And if you look at the show notes, you'll find timestamps for every category and where they begin. Should we call them time stampies? Why not? So right now, we have in our office party-themed waiting room <laughs> all of our guests just milling around, trying to make small talk, but they're so excited to see each other, they can't even speak. So let's invite them in. Oh, I was going to go just yank one in. Yank one in? Who's it going to be? I think we should get Nathan from the AIPT Comics Podcast. Yes. David Brooke last year started this whole thing off, so I think it should be only fitting if Nathan Simmons were to do it. Oh, I love Nathan Simmons. I love them both. I'm really curious if Nathan's pick this year will get us crying like mm. his pick last year did. Oh, yeah. That's a big ass, Nathan. Yeah. Let's see what you got. And he can't deliver like the same thing every year. He can't always give us a tearjerker. Let's find out. He's got to give us a twist. I know you're trying to transition to the clip. Let's start this clip. Okay, fine. Hi there. This is Nathan Simmons from the AIPT Comics podcast. Uh, apologies for the echo in my voice. I'm currently recording from an undisclosed location in the mountains. Thank you so much to Brad and Lisa for having me back to talk about a book that I loved this year. Um, Dave and I over at AIPT Comics Podcast kind of recounted uh, and recapped some of our faves from the year, but there's one that I, I didn't really get to talk about a whole bunch. Uh, so um, I'd like to take a minute to shout out another one of my faves. And in doing so, I hope our generous hosts are cool with me kind of creating a new category, my good for her book of the year. The Me You Love in the Dark by Scotty Young and Jorge Corona is a deceptively simple book. It's the story of an isolated artist falling in love with the unknown, then finding the courage to free herself and start over. It's a story about finding comfort and excitement and uncertainty and all of the horror and beauty that comes with it. Listeners of last year's Best Of for Couples Counseling may recall that I had a pretty tough time heading from 2021 into 2022. Uh, I'm in a much more stable and positive frame of mind these days, so I'm not going to use this little section as therapy again, but I gotta say, my emergence from depression and into a happy new chapter felt like it roughly lined up with the release schedule of this book and the new lease on life experienced by the heroine at the center of the me you love in the dark. Mine wasn't a true scorched earth rebirth like Rose is, but all the same, I feel brand new in many ways, and there was such joy in seeing this character make those steps. Scotty Young's dialogue is sparse but honest, never giving us much more than what we need for the story to move along. So much is communicated in Jorge Corona's remarkable artwork. The acting is top-notch, and the moments in which we see Rose's spectral visitor are sure to stick with you well after you put the book down. It's easy to see why she's swept up in the moment, and why she begins to fall in love with this unseen, unknowable thing. But it's only when she decides to gladly embrace her own uncertain future that she seems to finally love herself. And to that I say, good for her. For these reasons and more, I found The Me You Love in the Dark to be one of the most original stories I've read in quite some time. And I would gladly recommend it to anybody who's looking for a good gothic horror romance hybrid. Uh, my copy is sitting right next to me right now. 
And I think I'm going to reread it as soon as I hit stop. Nobody bears their soul in a three-minute clip like Nathan. And he picked an amazing comic. The Me You Love in the Dark is one of our favorite books of recent years. We had Scotty Young on the show to talk about that and I Hate Fairyland and A Little Strange Academy. What Young does always is delve deep into the interior life of his characters. And that's often where Lisa and I find ourselves. Yeah, uh, like, and I think there is something to what Nathan is saying about, like, this is a gothic romance. She does fall deeply in love with something that is not good for her. Yeah. And that idea of going, like, I have indulged this part of myself. It is not serving me, and therefore I have to find my way out. And I, and I think that... We do need these like rebirth stories, particularly when we are going through something that is hard. This is what books are for. This is what comics are for. Now, The Me You Love in the Dark didn't quite make our best of the year list for shame on us. No, no shame, no shame. <laughs> it's just the way it is. But we did feel like it led quite well into our next category, which on the surface doesn't seem to fit with The Me You Love in the Dark, which is best cat comic, <laughs> but the cat comic we're about to talk about does have some spooky, nasty spirits in it. Yeah, they are both about getting spirits out of your house. But unlike the heroine of Me You Love in the Dark, the individual in this book has the help of their cat, Buster. I first read House Cat Trouble by Mason Dickerson back in March of this year. It's published by Random House Graphic. It is a digest-sized hardcover. It feels great in the hands, mm -hmm. and I immediately fell in love with it. It's an all-ages book. It's a cat comic, but it is so beautifully told and extremely well-executed, and the illustrative style of House Cat Trouble stands apart from anything else I read this year. When the holidays finally rolled around and it was time to buy gifts for family and friends, it was House Cat Trouble that I went to the most. I gave this comic to friends, strangers, neighbors, family members. Secret Santa recipients. Secret Santa recipients. When you started seeing that 12 comics challenge meme on Twitter, Lisa and I would jump on whoever was posting that meme and we would recommend House Cat Trouble. Because House Cat Trouble has contained within this super sweet sentimental story a message that every single person needs to hear. At the beginning of this story, Buster is a kitten who's never gone beyond their own backyard. He's a scaredy cat. He is, but he knows that there's something wrong with his person. And by thinking in service of his person, he is able to do the kinds of things he never imagined being able to do. Facing crows, leaping far canals in a single bound. He grows his bravery fish. Spoilers, Lisa. But I can't, like, I feel like this is the kind of book where if you don't kind of give people a peek of the treasure that's inside, they might never pick this up. Yeah, and this is a comic that I think has had a lot of success in bookstores, but not necessarily with the Wednesday Warrior crowd. And I think that the Wednesday Warrior crowd could gain a lot from this book. And I want to be a champion for House Cat Trouble. Outside of his home, Buster finds mentors in two street cats named Chauncey and Nova. And Chauncey 
is such a precious character. I love him because without any kind of outside influence or guidance, he has come up with this personal philosophy that is so wise and applicable, even though it's so specifically cat. Yeah. Like, uh, like I, there is something that Chauncey says, I won't spoil it, but I am going to go back to it in my mind all of the time. It is a resource to me now. House Cat Trouble is a comic that you want to clip panels out of. I did. And tweet. Yes. Yeah. It's a very memeable comic. Oh, yeah. I can't wait until our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles last Ronin episode yeah. because I'm totally using a couple of these oh, panels as words of affirmation in the oh. words of affirmation portion. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That House Cat Trouble is a book of affirmations. It is. And we all need more affirmations in our life. And you need House Cat Trouble. And a sequel is coming out early 2023. So you're going to want the first one because you're going to want the second one. It's easily one of our most anticipated comics of the new year. Mm -hmm. I want everyone to read this comic. We are hype people for House Cat Trouble. Okay, Brad, we just had our seven minutes in heaven with Nathan. Oh, oh it's for it's time for us to like release him back <laughs> into the waiting room so he can rematriculate. But whose elbow are we going to drag in here next? Let's yank in Botter from the Short Box Podcast to ease us into our next category. Yo, happy holidays to Brad and Lisa. And to the rest of the comic book couple counselors out there listening right now, this is Botter from the Short Box Comic Book Talk Show podcast calling in to tell you about my favorite comic of 2022. My pick comes with a disclaimer, though. All right. It technically, technically debuted last year, but it's a 12 part series and a majority of the issues have come out this year. So that's my little cheat code I'll use for justification. I apologize if that was not the homework, but come on, give me a break, guys, please. My favorite comic of the year has been published by DC Comics. It's called The Human Target. It's written by Tom King, and it's got art by Greg Smallwood. Uh, yeah, you know, two young, fresh-faced, upcoming comic creators that have a, you know, they got a long way to go before they become household names. I, I can't even say that with a straight face. That was absolute sarcasm. Tom King and Greg Smallwood is almost like a stamp of quality. You see their names on a book, you know the book is going to be amazing. The minute you flip the first page, you feel like you've been teleported to a 60s noir film. You end up rooting for the main character, Christopher Chance, a.k.a. the human target, and, and you're rooting for him to solve this mystery to save his life. Then you meet other charming characters like Ice, and Guy Gardner shows up, and Martian Manhunter's there, and Blue Beetle, and, and all these characters from the Justice League International that you really haven't seen in this light before. It feels like a family reunion taking place at a murder mystery show. It is absolutely gripping, and you can't stop turning the page. Tom King is continues to excel at pushing the envelope for modern and, and traditional superhero comics, and he's injecting some very interesting conversations and questions. And then, I mean, look, uh, Greg Smallwood, I probably haven't given him enough credit, but the art is amazing. It's the best thing. You're, uh, treat your eyeballs, all right? Treat your eyeballs to some amazing artwork by Greg Smallwood. And don't get me started on the sex appeal of this book, all right? It's, it's a classy book, but it's very sexy. Brad and Lisa, I hope one day this series is on your radar to do a couple episodes of, of a deep dive. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. So once again, The Human Target, it gets the short box stamp of approval on my end. It is my favorite comic of the year. Check it out. It's up to issue nine right now. It ends in issue 12 next year in February. 
So if you haven't read it yet, go ahead and dig for those back issues or, or buy the trades. Or you know what? Trade wait. Wait till the story's done and read it in one foul swoop. You can't go wrong either way. With that being said, Brad and Lisa, thank you guys so much for having me. To the rest of the comic book couple counseling community, happy holidays, y'all. Peace. Don't worry, Botter. The human target is on our radar. Mm -hmm. We most definitely will cover it on the show at some point in the near future. Tom King will come up again in this podcast. I didn't say from who. I didn't say from who, Lisa. Okay. You're not implying that it's us because we do love Tom King. I mean, we do love Tom King. Okay. I'll just say this. He may or may not be coming (laughs) up again on this podcast. Not in the category you're about to hear, but our next book does have outstanding art. And a 60s theme. And a central character spiraling in crisis. Mm. Now, this category is our best memoir of 2022, and it is Nowhere Girl from Magali Lahouche, Lisa? It's a French name, and I'm not French. Uh, Yeah, me neither. But we feel that we also got this book in under a technicality because this book came out in 2021 in French. So we couldn't read it then, but we could read it this year in 2022. Therefore, it is a 2022 release to us. Again, we're not French. We go by American rules and American pronunciations. And American publication dates. I picked this up from the No Brow table at SBX because of the cover. I judged it by his cover. But me and Magali have a lot in common because just like the early aughts are back now, which is weird (laughs) to me in the nineties, there was this sixties resurgence and it's when she discovered the Beatles and I discovered the monkeys. Nowhere girl is a coming of age memoir where young Magali is becoming a woman. She is blossoming and she decides to put all of that kind of awkward vaguely sexual, hormonal hyper-focus on this group from the 60s. And she's also dealing with a lot of anxiety and like existential growing up dread. And I related very much to this book. When you finished the comic, you were like, Brad, you have to read this because I think if you read this, you will just travel back in time and witness my own Mm -hmm. high school, middle school experience. And it did feel oddly intimate for me reading this comic book because this did feel like Lisa's story, even though it was happening in France. And my other end to this comic were the Beatles, who I weirdly kind of (laughs) discovered last year, thanks to the Disney Plus Get Back documentary. I became obsessed with what Peter Jackson did in that doc. And then I just finally, for the first time, really delved into the Beatles' work. Like, I was listening to albums over and over and over again, and then I get Nowhere Girl, and I'm like, I'm Nowhere Girl! How dare you? I'm a white man. Every story has to be my story, Lisa. The documentary that this book made me think of was actually a documentary from 2018 called I Used to Be Normal. Oh, yeah. And it follows the path of women, girls, who grew up like hyper-focused, obsessed with one boy band. And there's a fan of the Backstreet Boys, One Direction, and Take That, which I had never heard of before, and the Beatles. And the one thing that all of these women had in common was that they were being raised in a kind of sexually repressed environment where they didn't really feel safe to go like, oh, I have a crush on this boy at school. So instead, they take all of that 
chi and then just focus it on these individuals that are unattainable. So um, in 1998, I was watching Nick at Night and they had a Monkey Monday and I was like, I'm fully in love. And all of my puberty will be laser focused on this group from the 60s. And it got like, I would just fantasize about, okay, I'm going to invent a time machine and I'm going to go back in time and marry Mickey Dolenz. And that is what Magali is doing in this book. She's raised by, she's raised in a religious household, but also like by two therapists. Yeah, her parents are therapists. And so she feels like, she can't talk to them in kind of like a parent way because then she'll end up talking to them in kind of a doctor way and it's weird and it's awkward. And um, she also starts feeling anxiety, like social anxiety about going to school. And so like, I feel like in Nowhere Girl, like there are a lot of ways where this mirrors my experience, but there are also ways where her experience was more extreme than mine. And so like, it's interesting for me to see someone go, go what I was going through at an extremity that I did not have to experience. Lisa says all this while she is now today, this very second recording a podcast, (laughs) wearing a monkey's, Hoodie. That is true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, sure, Lisa. What? It's not as extreme as what you went through. The passion is, is is as extreme, but she ends up like like her anxiety level and how it kind of um changed the direction of her life was was yeah, fair, harder than mine. Fair. I also love just from a straight comic book perspective the way that Magali illustrates the introduction of the Beatles' music in her life and how it circles her head. It comes out of this speaker from her sister's room and it circles her head in all these multicolored dots and stripes and marks and then it envelops her and then on the next page in this two-page splash, it just pulls her through this colorful yellow submarine-like environment. And when that happens, it is a slap and profound. Well, I think it is like the perfect um, personification imagery of what it feels like to have that level of all-encompassing obsession where every conversation led back for her to the Beatles, for me to the monkeys. But also in that moment what she executes so well is how discovery just changes everything. Mm. It is a page turn in your life. When you first heard the monkeys, when she first heard the Beatles, there was before and there was after. And the book illustrates that perfectly. She does all of the writing, all of the drawing. I think that she even does the the letters. So you do, there is this sense of intimacy to this book where you you are getting almost like a diary level of experience yeah yeah and it will have you pulling out your beatles albums yeah 100 so let's carry over that theme of zeroing in on perspective mm. we're narrowing our focus on single issue categories and to help us we are bringing over the comic book keepers yes the boy band of <laughs> comic book podcasts one of the many boy bands lance and chris take it away hey brad and lisa hi this is chris and lance from comic book keepers and we're very excited to join you for your best comics of 2022 episode so chris what was your favorite comic of 2022 
Okay, I had to narrow the list down quite a bit, but the the final sort of I think what really was a fun read for me was a comic series called Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. And if you've listened to our podcast before and you listen to the Scott Pilgrim episode, you know, I'm a big fan of like kooky, weird characters with lots of uh, weird action. This is a slice of life comic that is written by Kyle Starks and the art is by Chris Schweitzer. It's a really funny, um, irreverent, uh, wacky uh, comic about this sort of Chuck Norris uh, stunt guy is murdered and six people that have starred with him in his past who he's, he's just a terrible person, but they um, they're like, we got we got to figure out like who killed him and what the deal is. And uh, they have a giant turf war with a bunch of stuntmen, and And it's just a really silly, uh, very funny. Like there's tons of catchphrases, tongue in cheek kind of stuff. So it's um, it was a really fun read. It's about six issues. And I highly recommend it. Um, it's 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 you know you know we talk a lot about superhero comics, but yeah, uh, the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. If anyone out there has listened to our latest episode with our interview, uh, you will not be surprised that my favorite comic of the year is Do a Powerbomb from Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer. This comic made me want to fall back in love with professional wrestling. It has the action you want. It has the color, it has the motion, and it has those emotional connections to characters that I seek out anytime I am reading a comic. I absolutely love everything about this series, from the character designs to the the entire premise of a necromancer running <laughs> a professional wrestling tournament to bring back a loved one from the grave. There's just so much to love about this entire series. And I, I I couldn't get enough of it. The the final page just hits so hard emotionally. And the, the dialogue is so thought-provoking as there's parallels between life and pro wrestling and how a story can be so important even if you know the beginning and the end. A person's story is meant to be told and heard, and it's beautiful. But thanks again, Brad and Lisa, for having us on. We hope you have a great end of the year. Thanks, Brad and Lisa. I think I want you to do like a secret edit of this podcast where it's just all of our guests thanking us. And then I want that played on a loop. And I just want to go to sleep drifting <laughs> off on a sea of gratitude for our existence. Our good night affirmations. I can do that, Lisa. I know you can. I can't. I don't edit this podcast. Brad does. I love those two picks from Lance and Chris. Do a powerbomb. Uh, one of our favorite comics of this year. Lisa, I will not spoil if it comes up in this episode again. <laughs> a lot of our favorite comics don't two. get listed. Yeah, a lot of our favorite comics don't. You know, so you know, do a anything could happen. May or may not happen. That is an issue, or that is a series that has an incredible first issue, mm -hmm. a great hook. Oh yeah. As does the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton from Kyle Starks and Chris Schweitzer. We love that comic. We had Kyle Starks on the show to talk about another comic called I Hate This Place. And oh, wait, what? Huh? Uh, we're going to talk about the best first issue of the year. And if we're talking about the best first issues of the year, I think Kyle Starks did deliver <laughs> on that. But not with six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton. Although, again, really great first issue. Don't take offense, Chris Schweitzer. But I think the best first issue for us 
belong to I hate this place. What do we think of Brad's acting? Him pretending <laughs> like he just came up with that off the dome as if we haven't <laughs> planned out what our categories are. That's and called improv. <laughs> I don't approve. And I think it's great. I, I think I'm a genius. I think you're not as much of a genius as Artem Topolin, the artist no. of I Hate This Place. You're right. Because in this very hooky first issue, they give us ghosts. They give us zombie-ish ghosts. They <laughs> give us kaiju-sized critters. They give us a scary heisty guy. They give us UFOs. They give us all of the genres and uh, and say, buckle up, there's more. When we had Kyle Starks on the show to talk about this first issue, which is the only issue we had read at that time, he described this as his all-in horror comic. He didn't want to just do like one scary thing. He wanted to do all the scary things. It's a kitchen sink book. And the first issue delivers. And thankfully, having now read the first five issues, which are all collected in one trade from Image Comics, that also just keeps anteing it up because there are even more horrible things on the horizon after this first issue. It must be a very perilous thing putting together a first issue because we as readers, we go to the shop and we go like, we'll give this one issue a try. Yeah, absolutely. But if it doesn't really get me, then I'm going to set it on fire. I'm never picking it up again. I'm writing off the artist and the writer. They're dead to me. Yeah. And like, if it was just like, look how crazy this book is, it wouldn't be a comic book couples counseling choice because we have seen all of the craziness and we are a fan of the crazy, but me personally and Brad as well, we're there for the characters. We wanna, we if we're gonna spend any time with a comic, we really want to be in good company with the characters. And we love a couple, right? Yes, a, we do. A highly functioning couple. I love Trudy and Gabby. And they are truly tested after they inherit this ranch from a long lost relative. And when it goes down, my worry was that it was going to disintegrate the couple. And granted, we're only five issues in, they could be dis disintegrated as a couple. But I love how these first five issues, as they are in this first issue, they are that couple you want to be in the situation with. Like this is who you want to be when it goes down. I wish Lisa and I could behave this way when the ghosts come knocking. Yo, know, cause Trudy is the like, I've got a case of guns. Yeah. I've been training my whole life for this. I can do a little hand to hand if necessary. And Gabby is like the optimist. Yeah. She's like, we're gonna get through this because we're us. Yes. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. So I I hope you've all uh, checked out I Hate This Place, uh, being comic book couples counseling listeners. But let's say you haven't yet, or this mm. is for whatever reason, your first episode of Comic Book Couples Counseling. I highly encourage you to check out the first issue of I Hate This Place. And I would bet once you do, you're subscribed. It's in your pull box. There's no coming back. Do you think we're two Gabbies? We're just two useless Gabbies. I, I think that's more likely. We're ready. We we are armed with a pep talk and nothing else. I love an orange cupcake, though. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but not as much as I love a good cliffhanger. And the first issue with Itchy coming back, great cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And every issue that came after it, including the fifth issue, 
gives you reason to come back. But I don't want to give the listener the wrong impression of like, this story is all about the twists and turns. You don't know what's going to happen next. Because even though each issue does kind of ante up and have that kind of cliffhanger ending, it's like a one-two punch because the deeper you get into the story, the more of an understanding you have of Trudy and Gabby as people and why their odd couple relationship works. So like every issue does have a deepening as well as like a sharpening mm. of that hook. Yeah, and that that includes a deepening and the sharpening of their relationship mm -hmm. mythology as well as the mythology of what the hell is going on at this ranch. So I Hate This Place was our favorite first issue of a comic book series. Now we're moving on to a category that sounds similar, but is actually an entirely different sort of skill. This is our favorite single issue of a comic, meaning like even taken out of the context of the series, it's still a great issue. And to help us introduce this category, we're bringing on Zach Quaintance of The Beat to talk yeah. about his favorite book of 2022. My friend. Hey, Brad and Lisa. This is Zach Quaintance, uh, comic book writer and reviews editor <laughs> for Comics Beat, uh, weighing in with my favorite comic of 2022, which was Eight Billion Genies by Charles Soule and Ryan Brown. Um, I really love the concept of this book from the start, which is that every single person on the planet got their own genie who could grant them one wish. Um, what ensues based on that concept is absolute and total chaos, which the creative team plays out perfectly in a set of interconnected but sort of uh, self-contained uh, issues, one of which involves a massive superhero battle, another, the building of a villain who is essentially someone whose ideas were never taken seriously until he had a wish to make it so, and now he becomes one of the most powerful people on the planet. Um, and it just goes on and on from there. there it's really impressive how much uh, this book and this team have been able to do with, the, I guess, a relatively simple concept. Uh, and there really seems no end in sight, um, even though I know that this slated to wrap up after fittingly eight issues. Um, so that's my pick. Uh, can't wait to see everybody else's, and I hope uh, some new folks give this book a shot next year. Thanks, you guys. Bye. Ooh, we love a dog cameo. We got a little Barkaroo from Zach Quaintance's dog, who is very sweet. He might be, I think Zach Quaintance's dog is my favorite dog of comics Twitter. He would get the stampy for 2021. Oh. Because my favorite dog of comics Twitter 2022 is Chris Condon's dog, who also oh. deserves recognition. We're ranking they're, dogs now. They're such a sweet pup. Who's gonna be our favorite dog of comics tw Twitter 2023? I hope it's our dog. No, no. Why not? Because we, we're not getting one in 2023. I'm not ready. <laughs> Eight Billion Genies, though, is a great pick from Zach. It was a comic we didn't get to until this month because it was showing up on so many folks' lists. And when you read it, you go like, damn, there is a lot going on here. This is wild. Every issue just gets crazier and crazier, similar to I Hate This Place. But also, I feel like I can't, really judge that book until we get those last two issues. Mm -hmm. I really want to know how 
this creative team is going to wrap up 8 billion genies in just two issues. It seems impossible. But that's what keeps us coming back to comics. We love the impossible. We want the impossible so bad. And speaking of impossible comics, let's get into our favorite single issue of 2022, Monkey Meat number two from Junie Ba. This was one of the first great series of the year. I believe the first issue came out the first week of January. And from that point forward, I judged every other comic to it, right? <laughs> like, is this as good as monkey meat? No. Next. And the second issue tops the first issue in its imagination, in its anger, in its point of view, and in its complete evisceration of the pop culture it is taking aim at. Monkey Meat is an anthology series, which you would think would give it an advantage in the single issue yeah. category. But then Junie Ba goes like, no, I never do anything on easy mode, hard mode, all of the way. <laughs> he makes each issue extremely formulaic, but in a way that surprises you every time. It is such a gut punch. And it, each issue builds on the other one. So two does build on one, three builds on two, and so forth. So it is an anthology, but it's also not really an anthology. All of Monkey Meat takes place on the island of Monkey Meat Multinational, which is this enormous, morally devoid, utterly corrupt corporation that has made its billions selling cans of monkey meat, like literal meat from monkeys. And they have taken that cash and have bought this island and have subjugated the inhabitants of that island to use their magics to just keep biggering and biggering and biggering. So in each episode or each issue of Monkey Meat, we get a new opportunity for heroics of an individual. <laughs> and then like real capitalism, we are disappointed every single time. Every time we have a glimmer of hope, like it's like, blows it out. So the second issue focuses on Ariko, who is sent to this island because he kind of underperformed in school. And so his parents hope that he can find a job on Monkey Meat Island. And he's kind of just kind of keeping his life small, doing his own thing, kicking around and reading manga all day until he goes to a vending machine and he gets a bottle of Lug's soul juice. And when he drinks that soul juice, he is imbued with this power that he's never had before. And for this issue, Juniba adopts a manga aesthetic. Haruko is into a Dragon Ball Z-like character, so he lives a Dragon Ball Z-like life for this one issue. And Ba has so much fun with that style, but that fun kind of starts to disappear as the rage takes over, right? Like this comic becomes a hard comic to read. What Arako goes through and where it leaves these other characters. You never walk away from a monkey meat issue feeling good. Mm. When you hit that last page, you're like, damn. And the last page, and I don't want to spoil that last page, but it reminded me 
of that time we went to see Dr. Strangelove at the Alamo Draft House yes. in Ashburn. And everyone is like laughing, and this movie's so funny. And Lisa's sitting next to me and she is bawling. She doesn't see the comedy in Dragon Ball Z at oh, the Dragon Ball Z. She doesn't see the comedy in Dr. Strangelove at all. She just sees the horror and the tragedy and the awfulness, and it devastated you. What and a- that's what Ba is getting at. Yes, yes, because the scary thing is not that things are getting continuously worse. The scary thing is that it returns to the status quo every single time, and the status quo is horrible. And we're being pacified by our pop culture, by our entertainment. Another thing that I love about Monkey Meat in general is that the entire issue lives in the monkey meat world. So itself, the issue itself is like an artifact. All of the ads are for Monkey Meat International products. There's no Snickers ads. There's no real world ads. It's all Monkey Meat ads. So this is something of an immersive experience. To be holding Monkey Meat is to be reminded that we are all living Monkey Meat every day, being pacified, by pop culture and participating in something that is ultimately disgusting and evil with our full knowledge. I love the trade paperback. It's a great trade paperback, but the full experience really is in the single issues. You're gonna want both. And just like when you finish with an issue of monkey meat, it's impossible to go about the rest of your day, but you just have to do it. We're gonna do like a hard left and move (laughs) into our next category, which is all ages and young adult. Ooh, that is a hard turn. Hard turn. We started with an all ages comic, House Cat Treble. We're going to end with an all ages and a young adult book. And to get us there, we're going to check out what Christian Holub has to say about his favorite comic of 2022, which is actually not really an all ages comic, but kind of it is. Is this what that movie Whiplash was about? Hi, Brad and Lisa and all comic book couples counseling listeners. This is Christian Holub, and I'm happy to once again be chiming in at the year-end episode as we look back over the best comics of the year. If you want my full list of my 10 favorite comics of the year, you can find that list up on Entertainment Weekly's website, ew.com, where I shout out uh, several titles that I really enjoyed this year, like Marvel's Judgment Day, which I thought genuinely... Um, improved on the model of epic superhero crossover events uh, with a truly Heraclean effort by Kieran Gillen to write not just the main series, but so many of the tie-ins, making it feel like a really cohesive story with all those with all these different layers. Uh, looking forward to some kind of omnibus collection of that someday. But anyway, I talked about Hellions last year. So you all know that I love Marvel's, uh, you know, Krakoa X-Men adjacent comics. Um, And you don't even need me to tell you that because they've been going strong for a couple years. So with this uh, little chime in here, I wanted to focus on another of my favorite comics of the year, which was Step by Bloody Step. Uh, On one level, it marks the reunion of writer Cy Spurrier and Mateus Bergara, who have worked together a couple times before, mostly on Coda for Boom Studios, which is another great comic that I loved in recent years. Um, 
And uh, Bergara also contributed a little bit to Spurrier's 12-issue run on John Constantine Hellblazer that I know a lot of us liked a couple years ago. Um, But this is truly pushing their collaboration to the next level. Step by Bloody Step is four issues and and is totally wordless. It's a fantasy story about a gigantic armored guardian escorting this young girl uh, through what at first seems to be a wasteland, but as they travel, they almost seem to be improving the wasteland through their presence. It's hard to talk about it too much because it's not a comic that overly explains itself to you. It is, like I said, totally wordless, and yet it's so engrossing and so beautiful. Uh, I mean, you know, Bergara's designs are incredible, and you can read so much into them because you don't have, uh, you know, overly purple prose of fantasy kind of telling you exactly what these things are and how they relate to each other and how to think about them. You kind of just get to play with them in your own mind based on what you're given, but the armored giant looks so amazing. Um, Yeah, and what I think is so striking to me about Step by Bloody Step this year, 2022, was obviously a big year for fantasy. We had House of the Dragon and Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power on TV. Uh, Depending on how you classify Sandman or Stranger Things, we also had a couple other um, fantasy-adjacent shows going on. Um, You know, there were a couple movies coming out at the end of last year and this year that very much had the uh, imprint of Game of Thrones on them. And so, you know, I think fantasy is in a little bit of a revival right now. Um, But as we know, you know, in the model of Tolkien and people like that, so much fantasy is so wordy and explainy. And so I think what Spurrier, Bergara, colorist Matteo Lopez did with Step by Bloody Step really take a radically different approach to the genre. It's so cool and such a, it really shows the, you know, the potentials of the comic book medium, which itself sometimes is given over to a lot of over explaining, uh, you know, people thinking they can be Alan Moore when they're not or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's four issues. It's a quick read, but also rewards rereads because there's so many details and so many things to kind of, so many connections to draw and impressions um, to take for yourself. Um, I just think it's a super cool comic, and I'm going to be recommending it to people uh, for a long time to come, I think. So that's my recommendation from this year, Step by Bloody Step, which was, of course, published by Image. An excellent pick there, Christian. Thank you. Step by Bloody Step was another one of those books that we didn't get to until December. It is a wordless comic. I love wordless comics. Lisa really loves wordless comics. That's correct, Lisa? Lisa? I was just doing my impression of one. okay. Wordless podcasts, not as good. Not as good. Don't you dare edit out my pause, Brad. I will not. I will keep in your humor. (laughs) Because I'm hilarious. You're hilarious. Step by Bloody Step, though, does read like lightning, and there are so many nooks and crannies to get lost in. Every page deserves a reread, a few rereads. And I also think that this comic serves as the perfect gateway to our next category, which is all ages comic, because our selection does involve another young girl, actually two young girls, on a quest through a savage land. Yes, Jana and the Unpossible Monsters by Chris and Laura Somney is our favorite all ages comic two years running. We have folded Jana and Rainbow into our hearts into our lexicon for when we talk about the value of siblinghood 
and sisterhood. They're like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> in that way, where they can be so tightly connected, get along, and get things done. What's so refreshing about Jana is that too often in storytelling, the way that conflict is created is through bickering yeah. and breaking apart and coming back together and breaking apart again. And even though Jana and Rainbow never see eye to eye, their unity is paramount to their success. They yeah. cling to each other in order to survive. Yes, and if we are looking to connect Jana and the Impossible Monsters to Christian's pick Step by Bloody Step, Chris Somney, as an illustrator, does so much of the storytelling through expression, through the acting of his characters. This is not a wordless comic, but it's not a wordful comic. Jonna is not particularly verbose. No, no. And, and when we, you do get conversations, they are short and to the point, and they leave the reader and the characters equally moved. And this year saw the conclusion of Jonna and the Impossible Monsters, Issue 12 is the final issue. Fingers crossed that's not actually true. I really want Chris and Laura to team back up and bring us more Jana comics, but for now, this is it. And I was really worried because this comic does move lightning quick, like Step by Bloody Step, that we weren't going to get that satisfying ending in issue 12, and it is an extra-sized special issue. And thankfully, with those extra bits of pages... Chris and Laura do stick that landing, do deliver something that was very satisfying, while also still leaving a door open for possible future stories. What I think particularly satisfied me with the conclusion of Jana is the payoff of that moment that initially captured me so many issues back, where Jonna goes to squish some bugs underneath mm. her foot. Yeah. And she yeah. and Rainbow goes like, "Don't be squishing bugs." Yeah. Like, they're not there's no such thing as just bugs. You have to have empathy for the bugs even though they're little because to the kaiju, we are little. The callback in the final issue to that moment is I mean, what's the word for it? Like, I think I've said profound already. Let's go with profound. But without directly going like having a flashback no, or anything. Yeah, yeah. Towards so the well end done. of this comic, you start seeing these bugs flit by to recall that moment. And then we do really get to see the arc of Jonna's journey with her empathy and her full realization that she has that empathy because of her sister. Mm. And that she is who she is, not because of the circumstances of her origin, but because she is a sister and a daughter and a member of a family. We had this beautiful moment with Jana this year. We had, we actually, little humble brag, we actually have a quote on the back of the Jana single issue that they did for Free Comic Book Day. So of course, Brad and I took a whole bunch of issues so that we could <laughs> hand them out to people and go like, hey, look on the back, that's us. So of course we gave one to my mom and go like, look, we're succeeding. And um, my niece picked it up and she read Jana or had my mom read Jana to her and she recognized herself in Jana immediately. She yeah. pointed to her and said, hey, that's me. And, and I just love that for her. I love the idea 
that, you know, like, unless you know her, I guess you don't really understand. Well, we've tried to connect with a lot of our nibblings through comics, and the success rate's been so-so to poor. And it was really wonderful in this moment with John and the Impossible Monsters for that niece to go, I get this. Jonna is me. I need more of this. So, of course, this holiday, we bought the first two trade paperbacks for her. And we're really excited to finally give them to her when we see her uh, tomorrow, actually, on New yeah, Year's. Yeah, so excited. And that's the thing about Jonna and the Impossible Monsters is that over these two years, this book has become a heart comic for Brad and Lisa. Mm -hmm. It celebrates siblings, something that's very important to Me. Lisa. You're and, an only child. And I'm curious about as an only child. The Artwork itself is some of the best on the planet. I would not trust a comics fan who looked at this and said, no, not for me. And there's like the miracle of this being a couple comic. It's the product of a couple. And Chris and Laura represent to me an ideal that I would love to strive toward. It's not one that we would ever reach. Like, I don't think... <laughs> Uh, I'm anywhere near as talented as either of them. But Lisa and I do have aspirations to put creative works out in the world. We have comics ideas. We would like to pursue them. And who are those inspirations in this world? Chris and Laura Somney, that's them. It's beautiful to see a married couple, a family really, because it's inspired by their daughters, express themselves in one unified voice. And that voice have like a real heartfelt message. Yeah, so how could comic book couples counseling not love this book? We love John and the Impossible Monsters. We want more. We want more, Chris never and Never end, never stop. <laughs> never stop, never stop it. Just like this podcast, we still have one more category to get to, Lisa. Yes. Best young adult graphic novel. We're essentially just going to let Jamie Garner take it away from this point. Jamie Garner, you have heard her on Girls Talk Comics. She's part of For Everyone Media. She is our good friend. And she just so happened to pick our choice for best YA graphic novel as her choice. So why not just let her do the heavy lifting? Hello, everyone. My name is Jamie Garner. And um, Brad and Lisa graciously asked me to talk about my favorite comic or graphic novel of the year 2022. Um, and there were a lot of great things I read, both that came out this year, as well as things in the past that I haven't gotten to yet that I finally got to read this year. Um, so it was a great year for me in comics in 2022. Um, what stood out to me, though, what was sort of the best of the best that I read was Galaxy, The Prettiest Star. Um, it was published in DC's Young Adult series, and it was written by Jedzia Axelrod and illustrated by Jess Taylor. Um, and for those of you who don't know, this... Uh, this uh, book featured the first transgender main character superhero in DC canon. Um, and it tells the story of Galaxy Crowned, a alien princess who has had to live for the past six years in hiding on Earth, living as a boy, living in the wrong gender. And, you know, while this is keeping her safe, it's really killing her inside. And... Jadzia does a great job of illustrating these everyday pains that transgender people face and that uh, Galaxy is facing because they're in the wrong body and they know they're in the wrong body. And it, and it illustrates these things just so gut-wrenchingly honest that it's really tough as a transgender person to read it because you're, you're very much, that is your lived experience. Um, however, things change when 
um, galaxy, meets the new girl in town, Kat. Um, and in Kat, she finds someone she can connect with and who loves her for who she truly is. And when Galaxy comes out to Kat, rather than run away or ask a million questions and really um, give her the same reaction that she would expect from anyone else, she accepts Galaxy and encourages her to stop living the lie and be her own self and live her own truth. Um, and through this romance that ends up forming between Galaxy and Kat, you know, Galaxy finds the courage to live as her true self despite the fact that people, including her, what she thought was her best friend, don't accept her. Um, and that was something that really struck out to me about what made this book so amazing. And yes, it was already amazing because it really does, as I said earlier, paint and illustrate the struggles that transgender people go through on the daily basis, um, both before they transition and after transition, as they're transitioning. Um, and it does that in such a way that even cisgender people can see and feel those very real emotions. In addition to that, what really jumped out to me was the role that Kat played in Galaxy's journey. Um, you know, for personal reference, I transitioned after I was in a long-term relationship. And seeing that play out on pages where you have someone who loves you for who you truly are and encourages you and does things like do your making, uh, doing your makeup for you and sneaking clothes and helping you through those tough days, it was really beautiful to see that illustrated on the page. And I think it's important because it shows young transgender people that, hey, there's people out here who are going to love you and support you and be there for you no matter what. And it's hope. And I just love that so much about it. And you add to all of this Jess Taylor's art, which was just, just stunningly beautiful. How she uses the colors of the trans pride flag and the lesbian pride flag to create pages that are equally queer as hell and just vibrant as hell. Um, you know, each and every panel leapt off the pages to me and just hit me with so much color. And especially the splash pages that um, really hit those hard emotional beats. Um, whether it's Galaxy changing to her true form of the first time, the first time she's wearing makeup and, and a dress and crying because she doesn't feel like she's worthy and, and, and is just so overwhelmed with emotion. As well as the final splash page, which I'm not gonna spoil for you, you just have to get there. Each one of those is a work of art that really hits you with the full emotion of the moment and leaves you in awe and crying, either happy tears or sometimes sad tears or a mix of both. You know, so for these reasons, I really think that this book was my favorite of the year. And I think it's one of the most important to come out because it shows young transgender people. And again, this was a young adult graphic novel. It shows young transgender people um, that despite all the fear and the pain that they may be experiencing, that they are superheroes, that they have the strength within themselves to realize who they truly are, and that there are kind and caring people out there who love them and see their inner beauty. Yes, there's going to be hard days, and yes, there's going to be bigots out there who hate them for who they are. But there's also the great days, the lovely days, the amazing days. And there's also people out there who are going to love them for who they are and encourage them and push them to be their true selves, their true happy 
selves. Um, you know, Jadzia's dedication at the beginning of the book is, you know, quote, for the girl who needed this book ages ago and couldn't find it. And that's absolutely what this book is. Um, and I love it. And I hope you pick it up and um, read it and love it as much as I do. And if you know someone who thinks who you think needs this book, I hope that you're able to get it to them. And I hope they find it and find the inner peace that they need. Um, well, again, thank you so much, Brad and Lisa, for inviting me. You two are, you know, just two of the sweetest, kindest, most amazing people in the comics universe. Um, and I wish you, I wish y'all all the best. I wish, dear listener, you listening to this. Um, thank you for listening rather than skipping over. Um, I wish you all the best. Peace, hope, love, everything else you could want in 2023. Thank you. Aw, thank you, Jamie. We love you so much. And thank you for your contribution. And screw anyone who would 15 <laughs> seconds skip over the testimonies of our guests. Maybe I should just remove the time stampies from the show <laughs> notes, Lisa. No, don't do that. Oh, okay. Not after we've given them a cute name. Yeah, they've been branded. So we got to keep the time stampies. We got to keep the time stampies. But a bane on the house. What is it called in Shakespeare? A pox. A pox on the house of anyone who would skip over our guests. But also maybe a bane on them as well. Okay. May he break the backs of anyone who skips our testimonials. That's right. Oh, and if you have skipped our testimonials and you're listening to this now, you better go back Double in time. Double back, my friend. Because we're sending a bane for you. That's right. You merely adopted the dark. <laughs> I was born into it. <laughs> We can't put subtitles on a podcast. Nobody's oh, going to understand what you're saying. Oh, oh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Galaxy, the prettiest star, Lisa. It's impossible to top what Jamie has already contributed. I just know that when I opened this book, I had never seen anything like it. Jess Taylor's art screams from the page. And it's hard to imagine that this was a DC Comics title. There is no house style present. I love what DC is doing with their YA books. They're really kind of going against that house style idea and using their YA as this place where they really are featuring like auteur approaches to these comic books. A lot and, of experimentation going on. Yeah, and I think that it's resulted in books that don't feel so DC, that feel really individual and like these precious gems. And allow you to reevaluate their world and reevaluate their characters and introduce new characters like Galaxy. One of my highlights of 2022 was getting to interview Jedzia and Jess for Comics Bookcase. And one of the things that came out of that conversation was this idea of sympathetic resonance as a literary phenomenon. So originally it's acoustical phenomenon, like when something makes a sound, another body of a similar shape will capture that sound and vibrate. So let's go back to Nowhere Girl. I read Nowhere Girl and there was just so much about Magali that imitated me, my life lived experience you so You felt perfectly. represented in Nowhere Girl. I just, I just buzzed from the inside out. I became flush. I was like, this is me. This is so exciting. And not every story can be that. And I think sometimes people use the excuse to leave out 
minority voices because they go like, well, not enough people are going to relate. There's not enough, like, we want everyone to buy this book. Yeah, you meanwhile, know? go ask one of those minority voices how they've been relating to all these cis white dude stories for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Exactly. So, like, I'm... I loved Galaxy of the Prettiest Star. I love a love story. I love a, a story of personal transformation. And I relate to Galaxy in those small ways. I know what it's like to have a crush. I know what it's like to, you know, feel awkward in your own body. But I don't have that full body, climactic feeling of this is me. If you really want to appreciate and love stories, you have to also reach out for those smaller resonances. And then also, like, I am so excited. Like when I hear Jamie talk about how she found herself in Galaxy, I am so excited for her. And like, and seeing her relate to a book so entirely, like now I'm relating to Jamie because I go like, I know what it's you like. You see to the joy of representation matters, but also if you're not reading books to get into other people's perspectives, then what the hell are you doing? That's the point of narrative. You don't need a book, my friend. You need a mirror. So when you put down Galaxy the Prettiest Star, it's like such a gift mm. for someone like me to experience Taylor's story. I would go so far as to say it's critical. Yeah. It's critical that we hear a bunch of different perspectives because all that's going to do is widen our lived experience, bring us all of the different colors and shapes and nuances of the human experience. And give us more stories, yes. right? So I'm done with Galaxy's The Prettiest Star, but we're not done with the character. I can't wait to see what they do with her in the DC universe. We've been told that there are plans in the works 2023, gotta give us something new there. As long as her and Kat are always together. They may never <laughs> break up. I hope they get married. You want that, and I really want these creators to stick with this character for a while. Yes. Hopefully DC can make that happen, because it'll be hard to imagine Galaxy without Jess Taylor and Jadzia Axelrod. Oh Although at the same time, you want the character to grow by being tooled with and tinkered with by other creators. We want to see them disseminated into the yeah, universe. Yeah, yeah, but also Jess Taylor's art, it's unlike anything else out there right now, so I want more of it immediately. I'm kind of heartbroken that uh, the interview never, like, it was an interview for a written piece. Oh, right. So We and, didn't get to hear the audio. Yeah. And you know what that means. We gotta have them on the pod. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked to Jedzia. She She's on down. board. Yes. We could, just gotta make it happen. Well, maybe when we get these Stampy Awards made and we That's mail right. one out to Jadzia, we can also mail out some sort of invitation to the podcast. That's right. We'll sweeten the pot. All right. Well, on that note of narcissism. <laughs> well, I mean, I think a big stamp would come in handy. I agree. It could also be a paperweight. But we got to end part one of the Stampies, the best comics of 2022 as chosen by Comic Book Couples Counseling and their friends. I'm not married to the name Stampies. What? 
After all of this? I don't, is it a bit, or are we really calling them the Stampies? No, we gotta call them the Stampies. I love the Stampies. You don't love the Stampies? I don't know. I kind of like Couplies. No, it's the Stampies <laughs> I'm now. I'm kidding. It's oh my the God. Stampies. Well, if you're done teasing me, it's time to tease the people. Ooh, let's do it. So our next episode is going to be part two of the Stampies. Pew, pew, pew. And they are going to involve categories like best original graphic novel, mm -hmm. best limited series, Writer of the Year, Artist of the Year. And we're going to get a little weird with a few categories as well, like Best Digital Release, Best Superhero Comic, a few categories we haven't even decided on yet. And I better refill the chip bowls because we're going to oh. have all new guests as well. They're going to have to wait in there for a few more days. We started with the premise that we were having like an office party with them all in the waiting room. Yep. And then we were in a closet, but this is an award show. <laughs> and we just... They're in the green room. Yeah, that's right. Oh, now it's a green yeah, waiting room. Yeah, they're in a green room. Okay, great. We're yeah. really good at this. Look at Chris Hacker. He's diving into that chips and guac. And Guido and Rob from Dear Watchers are hanging out under the mistletoe. You're not going to want to miss part two of the best comics of 2022, a.k.a. the Stampies part two. And hey, it's the 31st. We probably have something else we need to say. Oh, we got to say Happy New Year, ha everybody. Oh, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Honestly, to everyone who is listening, to everyone who returns to the podcast week after week, we are so grateful to you. Thank you so much. You have made 2022 a most excellent one for Brad and Lisa, mm -hmm. and we wish the same for you in 2023. May all your dreams come true. Happy New Year. Yes. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Do you know what happens between the hap and the be New Year? A wordless podcast? <laughs> Your joke was better than mine, so I'll say yes. Okay, Brad, it's time to put a new floaty thing in the middle of our punch bowl. Did your mom ever do that? Like where you have like this like frozen bit of like sherbet, sherbet or something? I've seen of... it in movies and stuff, but my mom would never do that to Dude, me. Dude, that's nostalgic. No, Gross. it's delicious. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation <laughs> to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias, not talking about sherbet in punch bowls, at Mouth Dork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott, at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm, at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Scroll to the bottom. Put your email in there. Please do so. We're launching that in January. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Hive Social, at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate an... A different iconic romance. Was my Brad Gullickson. It was so big. It was so big. And you were really acting out. Because I'm big, big, big. You are big, big, big. It's all big. about girth. <laughs> <laughs>